Okay, I um, there's a lot there's a lot of a, a lot of really good things happening here. I think so. First, just just a little bit of a, a tension I think uh, that we find in our gospel passage because you know what do we hear at the end of our gospel? Jesus says, "As for you, uh, call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven." And so, of course, we, we know that we all call our priests fathers, father. And uh, sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters will, will get after us for this and say, well, Jesus says to call no one on earth your father, but you call your priest father. And so you must be breaking the commands, right? You must be breaking a direct command of Jesus who, who says this. And, and, and so, therefore, you're not a biblical church, that they'll, they'll argue, or they'll, they'll push that argument. And, and for that, I, I think there's, there's some good answers to this, actually. So first... Um, what, what do you call your male parent? Dad or father, right? So this is something that everybody does. This is Catholic and, and non-Catholic and atheist alike, right? So like we all call our, our male parent dad or our father. So either we're all breaking this command or there's something more going on. And in fact, there is something more going on. And for further proof of that, you can always point people to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, where St. Paul says... For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So again, either St. Paul is contradicting the command of Jesus and therefore actually the Bible contradicts itself, or there's something more going on and Paul understands the command of Jesus to mean something slightly different than, than what we want to interpret it as. Uh, and, and that's exactly the case, that Christians have always understood that Jesus, in this passage, is speaking in a way of speech called hyperbole. So he's exaggerating to make a point. And the point that he's making is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees who, who what? It says that they love the salutation. They love the title. They love the, the greeting in the marketplaces. They love the seats of honor. They love the, the, fi the finest places at banquets, right? They're, they, they're, they're claiming their authority because, not because they want to serve the people of God, but because they love it, because they, they're prideful and hypocritical. Now, notice, notice what Jesus also doesn't say. He doesn't, he doesn't say, don't listen to them. In fact, he says the opposite. He, he points to the reality that they do have authority, right? He says they, they take the, the seat of Moses, which, or the chair of Moses, which is like a place of authority for teaching. And he says, okay, well, therefore do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example, for they preach, but they do not practice. Right, so he's acknowledging, okay, these guys, they clearly have authority among you to teach and to preach. And so whatever they teach and preach, you got to listen to it. But as you look at their lives, see that they're hypocritical and, and don't imitate their lives. Instead, just listen to what they're teaching and preaching. Which I, th I think is a fascinating thing, that Jesus is acknowledging that even terrible sinners, hypocrites, can preach with a proper authority even though the witness of their lives is, is not helpful and harmful even. And this is, this is a thing, I think, that, that really gets into the, like the rest of the homily, which, which is that this is nothing new. So we're going to look ultimately at our first reading here in a minute. But before we can get to our first reading from the book of Malachi, we have to go back further in time. And I know that I, I talk about the exodus like all the time. And that's because the exodus, that is when God delivers his people from Egypt and brings them into the promised land, this, for the Jewish people, is the heart of their salvation. This is the heart of their story. And we as Catholic Christians, of course, we have our roots in Jewish belief and Jewish tradition. And so if this is the heart of their story, 
while the heart of our story, of course, is what God has done in the person of Jesus, we should certainly be familiar with this. So we've got to go all the way back to this. Of course, we know God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And God sees them being enslaved. And so he chooses Moses to be the instrument through which he sets his people free. So he, he sets the people free through Moses and the Passover lamb, which we've been talking about the last few weeks. And they cross through the Red Sea. And then they're in the desert, right? So they're free from slavery. The purpose of their freedom was so that they could offer worship to God. What a lot of people maybe miss in the story is, is that God, he, he wants his people to be free, not just so that they could be free, but so that they could come into a place where they can offer worship to God and show God what he's worth to them. And what the Lord actually demands of them is sacrificial worship. He demands that they sacrifice animals to him as a holocaust, as a burnt offering to himself. And the reason they can't offer the worship in Egypt is because the Egyptians worship the very animals that God wants his people to sacrifice to him. So they need to be free because he doesn't want his people to be wiped out. So they need to be set free. So then when they get into the desert, this is what happens. Moses goes up on the mountain and the Lord commands this sacrificial worship through the covenant that he establishes with his people. And so they, they offer sacrifice of bulls and lambs and uh, rams and, and different animals. They, they offer these as worship to God. And who is it that offers the worship? Well, it's the priest. And who are the priests? Well, at, at this time, at the time of, of, uh, where they're set free, the people who are the priests of the land are, are, of the people are basically all of the fathers and all of the firstborn sons among the people of Israel. Right, so we know the people of Israel are broken up into 12 different tribes that are named after the sons of this person, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. So anyway, so that's, that's what happens. They offer worship. And then from there, Moses goes up on the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments. He receives also the instructions about building the, what's called the tabernacle, this, this great big tent that they, they uh, erect in the desert so that they can have a place to offer worship. Right, so again, this is like... This is not part of the homily, but just to point out, the Lord clearly wants people to have a place, a, a specific place, where they can come to offer worship. And if that's the case then, of course it's going to be the case now. You know, sometimes we'll, say, we'll hear people say, well, I can, I can worship God, you know, in nature. How many, how many people are saying that this weekend and next weekend? It's like, no, the Lord clearly wants us to have a, a particular place where we come to offer worship as a community. So anyway, so, so that's the thing. And, but while he's up on the mountain receiving all of these instructions from the Lord, what happens? The people down at the bottom, the rest of the Israelites down at the bottom of the mountain, they start to get worried because Moses is taking a long time. He's up there for 40 days and so they, they start to get worried. And so they say, okay, well, we, we got to worship something because we, we just have to worship something. So they take all of their gold jewelry, they put it into this fire, they melt it. And Aaron, the high priest, he does what? He forms a, a, an animal out of this gold. It's called the golden calf. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 32. So they make this golden calf, this, this like little bull, and they worship it as though it is God, which is a, a tragic thing, right? Like the Lord is up giving Moses the instructions about worship. Meanwhile, they're down at the bottom offering worship to another God. It's a tragic and terrible thing. So the Lord sends Moses down the mountain. Moses comes and he's like, what have you done? You, you, you can't be priests of the Lord anymore because you've offered sacrifice to another God. And then he asks, is there anyone who didn't participate in this false idolatrous worship? And there's one tribe, one group of people among the people of Israel who didn't participate, and that is the tribe of Levi. 
So the Levites now become the only priests in the people of Israel. So now there's a new system that's established because the Lord, he forgives them. He's, he's willing to, to establish a new system so that they can still offer worship to him. So now there's this new system. They build this tent, this tabernacle, and the Levitical priests, so the Levites, the men from the tribe of Levi, they now become the sacrificial priests or the, 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 those who lead sacrificial worship. So people will bring their animals to the priests, the Levites, and the priests then will offer worship to the Lord on behalf of the people. It's this, this really incredible thing. You can think about being a member of the tribe of Levi and it's just like, oh man, we were faithful to the Lord even though everyone else was not. And, and we, we wanted to be faithful. And as a result of this, the Lord grants us these incredible blessings of being the, the very people who can stand between the Lord and between the rest of the people and offer worship to the Lord on behalf of the people so that by offering good and righteous worship to the Lord, what can happen? The Lord can pour out blessing upon blessing upon all of his people, not just on us. That's the purpose of the Levitical priesthood. The, the purpose of offering worship to the Lord is so that he can bless us and, and keep us as his covenant people. It's incredible. Now, there's, there's a big problem. The big problem is this, sin, right? So sin continues to enter into the picture. And so what happens? Over time, the, the, there's, there's corruption that enters in. Of course, the Lord gives his people kings and the kings become corrupt. The Lord sends prophets, but then there are also other people who claim to be prophets who are not actually from the Lord, and they're corrupt. The priests, the people offering worship, not only in the, the, te uh, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, but of course they build the big temple, the priests in the temple become corrupt. And so pretty soon all of God's people become corrupt, and the Lord allows them to receive punishment. People from these other nations come in and they destroy the temple, they destroy the land, they lead them off into exile. It's a terrible, sad thing. They, they no longer have kings. There's fewer prophets because they didn't listen to them anyway. There's, there's no place to offer sacrificial worship because the temple was destroyed. But then what happens? The people are, are allowed to go back into Jerusalem, back into the, the kingdom, and there they can reestablish their worship. They can reestablish their sacrificial worship. They still don't have kings. And so because they don't have kings, the priests take on additional authority. Additional authority, yes, to, to still offer sacrificial worship, but also to teach people, to make decisions that a king would normally make. And unfortunately, what happens is there's corruption within this. In fact, this is, this is ultimately what our first reading is all about. So uh, the Lord uh, he says this at the beginning of our reading. He says, a great king am I, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The Lord's saying, you don't have a king, but I am your king and I'm a great king. And so I'm about to make a judgment like a king ought to make a judgment. So then he says what? And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. So he's addressing the priests, the men who are designated, ordained by him to lead the people in worship. He's addressing them. He's, he's like got a, a big spotlight on them. And he's like, okay, listen up, priests. And then he goes on and talking, he goes, goes on to talk about how what? How I'm going to send a curse upon you and your blessing, I will make a curse. Why, why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that because he actually talks about how there's a particular role that the priest has. It says that uh, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So this is, this is part of the role of the priest is to be a messenger of the Lord, to give proper instruction according to what the Lord wants, according to what the law of God calls for. But then he goes on to say, and this is what we heard, you have turned aside from the way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. 
He says, you have corrupted the covenant that I established with the tribe of Levi. And therefore, what? You have caused many to go astray. You have corrupted the covenant that I established with my people Israel. Right, so so I, I've used this example before, and it's a really silly example, but I, I think it helps get the point across. So, so the priest is supposed to, of course, read the law, offer worship to God, as well as then communicate to the people what it is that God desires, what, what he commands of us. But the priests were corrupt, and so they were teaching falsely. They were rendering bad decisions, and they were corrupting the worship. It would be like a priest offering worship to God, and God says to the priest, you need to go tell my people that I really like banana bread, and that's what I want as a sacrifice. And then the priest turns around and he says, you guys, the Lord says that he demands chocolate chip cookies as a sacrifice. Do you see what happens there? He's corrupting the sacrifice. He's teaching falsely the commands of God. Why? Because, because he wants to, maybe because he prefers chocolate chip cookies to banana bread, because he's not actually interested in what the Lord is doing. And so what happens then? Well, when the priest does that, when he teaches people falsely, what happens? All the people go astray and they start to think, oh, the Lord loves chocolate chip cookies. Like, we got to give him all the chocolate chip cookies in the world. Meanwhile, the Lord's like, that's not actually what I like at all. I have a preference for certain things. And I've commanded my priest to deliver that preference to the people so that the people could bring the proper sacrifice to me. But now the priests have corrupted this and now the people are not bringing proper sacrifice. So therefore what? Therefore I can't give them grace upon grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing upon blessing. You see, what happens when, when the priests are corrupt is it corrupts the entire system, actually. Which is a tragic and sad thing. And this, this ultimately is what... Uh, what we see Jesus doing uh, in, in the, our gospel passage when he talks about what? He talks about the scribes and the Pharisees and how they're so corrupt and hypocritical. They're prideful. They're willful. They're doing whatever they want. They're, they're not living according to what they're teaching. And so because of this, what happens? The entire system becomes corrupt. So the Lord can't pour out upon his people blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And he's going to do what? He's going to hold his priests responsible. In fact, the rest, so this begins, this begins chapter 23 of Matthew's, Matthew's gospel. If you go read the rest of Matthew chapter 23, it's just filled with Jesus saying one time after another, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, woe to you, blind guides, woe to you, hypocrites. It's filled with so many woes because the Lord sees what they're doing and how they're corrupting people and leading people astray and they're, they're being willful in their decisions. And he's seeing that this is messing up the entire system. And so therefore what? They're going to be held responsible for it. See how Jesus, he places such a great burden of responsibility upon his religious leaders. And this is the same responsibility actually that religious leaders have today. And unfortunately, we can, we, can, we can ask the question, well, what do we see among religious leaders today, among the priests and the bishops of the church, right? Because priest, the priesthood of, of the new covenant is not entirely the same as the priesthood of the old covenant, but it's, it's, it's fairly connected. So it's not something that's, that's so different that, that suddenly there's no expectations for us as priests. No, it's, it's, it's a similar kind of expectation. In fact, maybe a heavier burden in some ways. And we can look at the church and we can ask like, okay, what are the priests? What are the bishops like? And unfortunately, we can all think of examples of either people that we've seen in the news or maybe priests that you've had in this parish. I'm not here to pick on any particular people, except I'm eventually going to pick on myself. But we can look at the news and we can see priests and bishops who are corrupt. We can, we can look at our own example or experiences and maybe see priests and bishops who have taught us falsely 
who've been willful and selfish. We can see priests and bishops who have done what? They've abused their power and been hypocritical in their behavior, bringing corruption to the mass, bringing corruption to the teaching of people. And when they bring corruption to the sacrifice, when they bring corruption to the teaching, what happens? It messes up the whole system. So now, I've mentioned this before, unfortunately, we have a whole bunch of people, and I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily speaking about you. If, it, if you fit into this category, it's not because I think you do, it's because you just happen to fit into it. But we have a whole bunch of people who think what? Who think the Lord doesn't have any particular preference about the sacrifice that we offer. The Lord doesn't mind if I, if I come to Mass or if I don't come to Mass. The Lord doesn't mind if I keep His commandments or if I don't keep His commandments. The Lord doesn't mind if, if I support certain things that the Bible doesn't support. We have a whole bunch of people, and why? Because the priesthood has become corrupt, and therefore the covenant has become corrupt. And as I said, this includes myself. And this is the tension that I've been wrestling with all week, is, is this. Of course, we, we can hear about this, and we can hear about how the Lord desires sacrifice, and he provides a way for that sacrifice to be offered. And that's, of course, an incredible blessing. Just like for the Levites, it would have been an incredible blessing to receive this ordination, this call from God to be the people who offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people so that therefore the Lord could pour blessing upon blessing upon blessing on his people. And so therefore, same thing for, with the priesthood today. It's, of course, an incredible blessing that we have priests who can offer sacrifice to the Lord, which is what the Mass is. It's, of course, an incredible blessing that we have people who can, who can provide the ministry of reconciliation through the sacraments. What an incredible blessing that is. And, and for me, as a priest, right, I, I, like, I can reflect on this, and I get, to, I get to participate in this incredible thing that, that I myself get to be the one who leads the people in sacrifice, that I myself get to be the one who forgives people of their sins and brings them back into union with God. I, I get to be the one who brings people into the family of God by baptizing them. What an incredible blessing and grace that this is. And yet at the same time, I can't help but think the incredible responsibility that, I, that, that the Lord has given to me and how many times I don't think about it. How many times I'm corrupt myself. I can't help but think about my own failures as a priest, as a pastor, as a Christian, and, and the Lord holds me responsible for it. If ever I teach falsely, the Lord is going to hold me responsible for that. If ever I corrupt the sacrifice, the Lord's going to hold me responsible for that. And it's just like, oh, dang, what a responsibility that, that I have. To, to, to lead the people in worship, to forgive sins, but also what a kind of scary thing to be someone who is a sinner, who needs, needs God's mercy and forgiveness. And, and so my, my encouragement for you this week is really simple. I desperately need your prayers. Do you pray for your priest? I need your fasting for me. And now this isn't a one-way street. I, remember, I, I, I lead the worship. I also pray for you. I come in here, a lot of times you've seen me running around town. I come in here after I finish running, I just stand here and I pray for you before the Lord. 
I need your prayers just like you need my prayers. I need you to fast for me, to sacrifice for me. So that what? So that ultimately I can come before the Lord and be converted. Somehow the Lord can take your sacrifices for me, your prayers for me, and he can do something with them to convert me, to make me a holy priest. So that as I come and offer the worship, I can do it not with my own thoughts and my own preferences in mind. I can do it not with your thoughts and your preferences in mind, but I can do it entirely focused on what God wants and commands for his people. And as I offer this what? This right and praiseworthy service to the Lord, as I offer that, what can he do? He can turn around and he can pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon you, upon this community, upon the world. And so in so many ways, your prayers for me, for your priests, for all of your priests, for the bishops, they're going to benefit you. So that, so that maybe I can take this more seriously, so that maybe together as, as a community, with me leading you, we can come before the Lord with upright and praiseworthy hearts to offer him upright and praiseworthy service.